You're listening to the First Baptist Church of Hazel Park audio podcast. We hope that this podcast is a helpful resource in your daily walk with Christ. Now, here's today's sermon. Matthew chapter 16. We're going to read just a couple of verses to start. We're going to cover the first 12 this morning. We're going to read verses 1 through 4 to begin. It says this, Then the Pharisees also with the Sadducees came... And tempting, desired him that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said unto them, When it is evening, ye say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. O ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky, but ye cannot discern the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, but there shall no sign be given unto it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. And he left them and departed. Let's pray and ask God to speak to us this morning. I'm going to pray with my hands out. You can do the same if you prefer. Uh, This is just a picture that my heart is open to whatever the Lord has for me today. Father, speak to us today. May our hearts be ready and willing to receive what you have for us. And Father, as our hands are out, may we then take what we've received and have open hands to give it to others. Father, I pray that this morning that we would see this this truth that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. We pray that you'd speak to us. We ask this in Jesus' name. You can be seated. We read here about two groups of people, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, it tells us in verse number 1 of chapter 16. And these two groups of people are often grouped together in our minds. Sometimes we think of, we think, especially when we think of the Sadducees, we think of the Pharisees also. But this isn't because they were close allies or because they had a theological uh, agreement on many things. They, they both held to the law of Moses and high esteem. These were Jewish religious groups. They both felt that the, the law was something to be held on to, something to be, that was important to them, um, but they held it as they viewed it. Okay? Now, the, the Sadducees held it in one way. The Pharisees held it in another other way, but they both claimed to hold on to the word of God as truth. Now, that still goes on today, doesn't it? Different religious groups, different Christian groups, they, they say we hold to the word of God, yet they... Hold to it differently. The Pharisees mixed oral tradition in with the written law. Okay, so Rabbi so-and-so said this. They would read it, maybe they'd read a passage in the law, in the book of Exodus. And they would say, uh, the Pharisees would say, well, here's what that means. And then they would add to it what, uh, what a rabbi said about it. The Sadducees would say, we believe it. But the Sadducees did not believe in the afterlife. They didn't believe in anything that was spiritual. They didn't believe in any of the spirit world. The Sadducees rejected the afterlife. That's why many people have said that's why they're sad, you see. The Pharisees believed in the spirit world, meaning angels, demons, heaven, and hell. But the Sadducees did not. They rejected the truth of the afterlife. The Sadducees were born into the upper class. These are people who were born into money. They would then ascend because of their importance in culture. They would hold on to great power. The Sanhedrin was made up mostly of Pharisees and Sadducees. That Sanhedrin court, 70 men plus the high priest, so there'd be 71 men in that council, and they had a lot of power. Now, the Sadducees were in the minority, but they had a great deal of power. Here's why. They had a lot of money. And what they would do is they would go along with the Roman government pretty much no matter what, as long as they could keep their power. So they held to some type of religious standing, but they did not hold to it strong enough to go against what the government would say. So we would call them old money. 
The Pharisees were more common people, and maybe they became successful. And because of that, they could focus on studying the Word of God instead of what they used to do for a living. They were, they were more connected with the middle class, so we would call them new money. Okay? Now, these two groups, though, they were often at odds. They were always battling each other. All, one wanted to see one thing, one wanted something else. At one point, Paul even used his standing as a Pharisee to get himself out of a bind with the Sadducees. Now, both groups held powerful positions on the Sanhedrin court, but they would often battle each other. Now, they, they're both often spoken together, not because they were in agreement, not because they liked each other. But as the old adage goes, the enemy of your enemy is your friend. And so that's where we come to our passage today. These two religious groups that are at odds come together for a purpose, and that is to combat and to discredit Jesus Christ. And so it says there in verse number one that they came tempting and desired him that he would show them a sign from heaven. They were seeking a sign. People are always seemingly seeking signs. They had seen many signs and wonders. They had already seen Jesus do miracles. They had seen him do things that nobody could explain. And like I said last week, one more miracle is not going to convince someone that Jesus Christ is Savior. One more miracle is only going to give them reason to try to come up with a reason that that was not truly from God. That one more miracle is not going to convince your loved one. I said this last week, but it's not going to convince your loved one that they need to trust Jesus Christ as Savior. If, if God would just do this work in their life, I know they would see that he's a Savior. They need faith that comes by hearing, and hearing, the Bible tells us, by the word of God. You see, if Jesus had called on fire at that moment, and they said, give us a sign. He's all right, here's fire down. And, and he comes, calls down fire, burns up the tree, they would have found a problem. They would have complained and said, oh, he's really possessed with a demon. You see, the Bible tells us there, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Matthew tells us that they were tempting him. They were testing him. They were trying to disprove him. And they did that by desiring a sign from heaven. So Jesus responds to their request. Jesus is rebuking the religious elite because they could look at the sky and they could have a pretty good idea of what's going to happen. They could say, well, you know what? The sky is red in the evening and the clouds are thin. That means that there's not going to be any rain tonight. But the same sign, the sign of a red sky in the morning, meant something different. It meant that the clouds were thick. And likely the weather was going to be overcast at best that day, but they were probably in person storms. There's an old sailor's poem that says this, red sky at night, sailor's delight. Red sky in the morning, sailors take warning. This is something that sailors, they say they've been saying it for about 2,000 years. Well, that comes back to about this time. Did, did they get it from Jesus or was Jesus quoting one of them? It doesn't really matter. But what we know is that they were able to discern the weather. They were able to discern the weather, but they didn't have the discernment or the knowledge to see that it was the right time for the Messiah to come. To this day, the religious Jews, they still reject that the Savior has come. That the Messiah has come. Now, when we talk about the second coming of Jesus, we're all very well aware that we don't know the time or day. Matthew chapter 24 teaches us that no man knows the hour when the Son of Man will come. However, when these people are looking at prophecy, we don't have prophecy tell us exactly when Jesus is going to come. We believe in a pre-tribulational rapture here at First Baptist Church, and we believe then that Jesus is going to come. That's the next thing in prophecy. Nothing else has to happen in prophecy for Jesus to come. Now, there are some things that have to happen before his return to earth, after the tribulation period, but nothing has to happen before he comes again. So we don't know when that's going to be. It could be at any moment. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. It could be another hundred years. 
they had to know that the Messiah was coming as they had the prophecy from Daniel, from Daniel chapter 9. In chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, Daniel prophesied that the Messiah, the Prince, would arrive in Jerusalem in 69 weeks. Now, we go, well, 69 weeks, that's like 16 months. 69 weeks doesn't seem like that long. But that phrase, 69 weeks, can be really referring to any set of seven. And so the 69 weeks refers to sets of seven years. And so it's not weeks, but units of seven years. Now, take some math and it takes some understanding of their calendar. Their calendar had 360 days in a year, not 365. So you have to take that into account. But Daniel was giving them literally an exact date that the Messiah was going to come. And in hindsight now, we can maybe debate that a little bit more accurately. But from the time that the temple was given the permission to be rebuilt, it would be 69 weeks, 69, seven years before the Messiah would come. It coincides to this time exactly. And I believe it coincides to when Jesus came into Jerusalem on the donkey, the triumphal entry of Jesus there on Palm Sunday. I believe that's the date that it was. But I can see other arguments on that. But here's the, here's the point. It was coming. They should be expecting it at any moment that the Messiah was going to come. Countdown to this would start with the decree given to rebuild Jerusalem. Now, did it culminate at his, at his birth? Did it culminate at his baptism? Did it culminate at his triumphal entry or his resurrection, his crucifixion? We don't know. But nonetheless, it was time for the Messiah to come. And they could read the skies and they could see that the, the red sky meant this in the evening and the red sky meant this in the morning. And they could do all that, but they couldn't. These are, remember, these are not just people. These are not just any, any old people in Jerusalem. These are the Sadducees and the Pharisees. These were not the priests. These were professional Bible scholars. It's what they did. And they couldn't discern it. Jesus is rebuking them. For that, they were supposed to know the scriptures better than anyone else, but they only knew the scriptures that they wanted to know. I know a lot of people like that because I know me. I, I can give you a scripture to back up the things that I want to back up. Now, I hope and pray that when I'm expositing scripture, when I'm teaching scripture, that I'm teaching what the word of God says in context, accurately with the context, not only of the book or the chapter, but the whole Bible that we're studying. I want to know the word of God. I want to know what it really means. But there's a temptation in all of us to say, you know, I really think this would be okay. Let me find a verse to back it up. And so these are the preachers that always preached on their pet topics. They did not preach the whole counsel of God. They knew the laws that they wanted to know. Jesus called them hypocrites. Verse number four, a wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after sign, and there shall be no sign given unto it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. And the hypocrites, sorry, was in verse number three. O ye hypocrites. So Jesus calls them hypocrites. D.A. Carson wrote this in his commentary in the book of Matthew. The proof that they cannot discern the signs is that they ask for a sign. Because if they could have discerned the signs, they would have seen the signs and they wouldn't have asked for a sign. Back in chapter 12, verse 39, Matthew recorded Jesus as saying, the same thing the scribes and Pharisees. Oh, ye hypocrites. You see, as we have already established, they would not be content with a sign. If they had said, hey, Jesus, remove the Roman emperor and give us our freedom. In fact, make Jerusalem the headquarters for this new Jewish empire that is going to take over the Roman empire. And if Jesus did that, they still would have found fault. They still would have found reason to discredit what he did. And here's why. And he gives us this in verse number four. Because a wicked and adulterous generation. They're not looking for the Messiah. They're looking for a Messiah that fits their description. 
They're not looking for the Messiah of the Bible. People are not looking for the Savior of the Word of God. They're looking for someone who affirms what they believe. You see, when you create your own God, you never have to worry about your God coming after you. Never have to worry about your God telling you you're wrong because you've created that God. And that's the world that we live in. You see, people look for a God. Many of them even call him Jesus. Yet their God conforms to their design instead of us being conformed to the design of God. Jesus had already given them many signs that he's God, but he leaves them with a clue. He says that the prophet Jonah, Jonah says it says here, but the prophet Jonah is the only sign that they need. Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Jesus would be in the earth for three days and three nights. So we know Jonah was a picture of Jesus. So what they needed, and here's what Jesus is teaching them. You don't need a sign from heaven. You don't need another miracle. What you need is you need to go back and read the book of Jonah. You, you see, we think, oh, that's just a story about how God did a miraculous thing. And, and he preached repentance and people repented and God spared them. And there's a, it's, I love the book of Jonah. It's a great book. It's a, it's a great story. And when I say a story, I'm not saying a made up story. It's a great record of events that actually happened. And so they need to go back. They needed to read about the repentance that Jonah preached. They need to read about the destruction that was coming. The book of Jonah has more power to change the heart of a sinner than any miracle that can be done. Because Jonah is the word of God. And faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So that's what we need. we need. We don't need to see God do amazing things. We need to go back to God's word. Because even though I have faith to believe, and even though I've been saved since I was 12 years old, I still need to grow my faith, or my faith still needs to grow. And it's not going to grow by me saying, man, it's amazing what God's doing here at First Baptist Church. That doesn't grow my faith. That might grow my encouragement. It might grow my, my confidence. It might grow something else. But my faith is grown by the Word of God. And you go, well, Pastor, man, I tell you what, God's, God's, I can't wait for this week. God's been so good. Look at, look at what God's been doing here at First Baptist. I'm just so excited. That doesn't build your faith. And if you're depending on that, you need to turn to the Word of God and study God's Word. Look at verse 5. And when his disciples were come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. Now, I will say, I've always thought that the disciples here were early Baptists, okay? You know, and don't get offended by that. I just thought they were early Baptists. But I'm questioning that now because Baptists never forget the food. Okay? So I'm pretty sure these were not Baptists anymore. But we'll, we'll have to study that further. So when disciples were come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have taken no bread. Which, when Jesus perceived, he said unto them, O ye of little faith, why reason ye among yourselves, because ye have brought no bread? Do ye not understand, neither remember the five loaves of the five thousand, and how many baskets ye took up? Neither the seven loaves of your four thousand, and how many baskets ye took up? How is it that ye do not understand that I spake it not unto you concerning bread, but that ye should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Then understood they how that he bade them not beware of the leaven of the bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. In this morning in Sunday school, we talked about how the sin of Achan and the book of Joshua. And I didn't, I didn't study their lessons, so I didn't know going in. But Jeff said one of the questions in, our, in the lesson was, why is it that all these people had to suffer because of one man's sin? And I said, well, it's kind of what I'm preaching this morning. A little leaven leavens a whole lump. I can picture the Apostle Andrew there, and he's going, hey, where's the bread? And James and John, the sons of thunder, they get angry and they're like, who forgot the bread, right? And then Peter, he's probably like, it wasn't my job to bring the bread. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not bringing the bread. It wasn't my job. It was his job. Thomas probably doubted that Peter was telling you. Yeah, Peter probably ate the bread. 
You know, that's probably your impression. <laughs> Matthew was wondering if they paid taxes on the bread. Judas Iscariot was like, man, you know how much money this is going to take out of the treasury to buy more bread? Because they forgot the bread. I can't believe those guys. And Simon the Zealot was probably like, it's a conspiracy of the Roman government, this whole bread thing. You know, they're all probably talking about these things, and they forgot, they forgot the bread. But Jesus said this. He said, take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Wait, the, the bread that we were bringing, did it have leaven in it that we forgot? It was a bad leaven? I don't, we don't understand. Why, why is he rebuking us about this leaven of the Pharisees? Was it their bread? Did we steal it? We don't know what's going on. Jesus then rebukes him for the conversation. Why are, you, why are you talking about not having any bread? Why are you trying to figure out what we should do about the bread? Should we, should we get back in the boat and go across and, and get bread? Because we forgot the bread. The disciples were concerned about their physical need. It, that's in us all, right? Where am I going to eat? How am I going to eat? But Jesus was trying to teach them and warn them about something much more important than bread. And that was the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So Jesus confirmed, we talked last week a little bit about the feeding of the 4,000, and I, I told you that this is not a retelling of the feeding of the 5,000 with just some different numbers. And so Jesus confirms, he goes, don't you remember? When, when we fed with five fishes, we fed the 5,000. Remember when we fed the 4,000 and all the baskets of extras that we took up? And you're all wondering, where are we going to get bread? Hello? I, 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 the first time, I understand, you didn't know where we are going to get bread for 5,000 people. And then I just made it. Made it happen. Bread and fish for everybody. And the second time, alright, may, maybe you're wondering, is Jesus going to do it the same way? We know he can do it that way, but these were Gentiles the first time it was Jews. So maybe we understand why they didn't know about the bread. But now he's going, okay guys, it's been twice. Two times now, I have fed everybody. I have fed 9,000 people. That's just the men, not including the women and children. I have fed all these people by just making bread out of nowhere. And you guys are concerned about the bread. He refers to them as, O ye of little faith. Once again, faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. But listen, here's the thing. They're too busy talking, planning, blaming, discussing, and they weren't listening to the words of Jesus. I'm telling you what, man, there's all these reasons that we can come up with, or what we should have done, or what somebody else should have done. But Jesus is saying, listen, who cares about the bread? If we need bread, I'll make bread. If we need bread, we're not going to go without bread. But listen, you need to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Leaven is a generic term that really speaks of anything that causes dough to rise or bread to rise. In that day, probably the most common type of leaven was yeast. There are other things that can be used for it, but it was probably yeast. And uh, so what happens is the yeast is mixed in with the dough. I'm an expert on cooking and baking, by the way, so listen up. Uh, you, you, I'm not. Um, but I, you, you mix in the yeast with the dough. Then when moisture and heat are introduced, the, the yeast causes gases to be made, causing the bubbles of air to raise the dough into a puppy texture. So yeast or, or some type of leaven is put into the bread. It, it causes the gases to be made, which is what makes it air, airy and puffy. Now there's some question. Typically in the Bible, the word leaven is a symbol of a sin. Okay. Now there, there may be with a couple of Jesus parables, it depends on how you interpret the parables, where Leaven maybe wasn't. I believe leaven is always a picture of sin, but I can understand somebody who says, well, in that case, maybe it wasn't. But in the law, leaven pictures corruption. In 1 Corinthians, I want to read you this passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 1, it is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as it is not so much named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife. He says, even the Gentiles don't do this. 
are in here puffed up and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I verily, as absent in the body, but present in spirit, have judged already, as though I were present, concerning him that hath done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together, is my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. He was instructing the church there, hey, when there's sin, you've got to deal with it. We talked about that in Sunday school this morning. When there's sin, it's got to be dealt with. And as a pastor, I don't like that. I don't like doing it. I don't like dealing with sin. I want to, I want to have fun. I want to rejoice. I want to sing praises. And I want to just have a great time and everybody gets along. I don't like that part of the job. But listen, a little leaven leavens a whole lot. Jesus warns of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. What is the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees? Here's what we know about them. These were not the liberals. Okay? These were not the people who wanted to change everything in the Bible. They were not the ones who wanted to get rid of the Bible. They were not the godless people that, that wanted to do away with religion or scriptures. In fact, they said, we hold on to these things. We love these things. We, we want scripture and we believe scripture. But they were the hypocrites. They wanted the signs, but they'd already been given signs. They held strongly to the law, but they only kept the parts of the law that they agreed with. And only the ones that they were willing to keep in action. They said, hey, we, we hold to these. And they, they looked down on everybody else because they didn't hold on or they didn't keep the law as well as they did. But in their hearts, listen, in their hearts they were unbelievers. Uh, but they did all the things right. But in their hearts they were unbelievers. From what I can tell, the Pharisees started around 200 years before this. 150, 200 years before this is recorded. These were men that were supposed to be knowledgeable of the Scripture. And they were supposed to then take that and apply it for others and teach it to others. They were to interpret the law for others. And I'm guessing that they may have started out pretty good. Maybe not completely good, but probably better than they were at this point. And they, they probably said, hey, we okay, hey, we're going to teach people the law. And they just started studying the law and saying, well, here's what it says. And and then before you know, oral tradition. Rabbi so-and-so studied this. What, what did Rabbi so-and-so say? And, and he said this, so we need, to, we need to adopt this. We need to make this. And listen, it's just as important as Scripture because he's teaching Scripture. So it, what he says is just as important as, as Scripture. I've heard, I've heard today, we might, we might talk about this being the preachers that people would say, man, they're the man of God. You can't, you can't touch him. You can't question him. Uh, that's, that's, first of all, not touching the man of God is taken out of the Old Testament, out of the book of 1 Samuel. And it's taken totally out of context. The, the pastor, the man of God, as they call it, it's not the same thing. And listen, if the pastor's wrong, you don't believe the pastor. Okay? So they accepted these oral laws. They accepted traditions. That led to false doctrines. Now, let me ask you a question. Let's talk about bread. Do you know the only major difference between a loaf of white bread and a loaf of unleavened bread? Yeah, it's the leaven, right? That's the only difference. For the most part, now there's all kinds of different recipes, but for the most part, if you put, if you take a loaf of unleavened bread, you put a leavening agent in there, you're going to get bread. You're going to get a puffy loaf of bread. A leavening agent, like yeast, is the difference. Now, to leaven 
a loaf of bread. It only takes about 1% of the weight of the flour in leaven to leaven the bread. Okay? 1%. So if it weighs 100 ounces, okay, but if it weighs 100 ounces, it only takes about 1 ounce of a leavening agent to leaven that whole loaf of bread. A little leaven leaven the whole loaf. What, what do we do with this? Right, so we, we've, we've exposited, we've tried to understand what did Jesus say about it, what's he, what's he talking about, what's he teaching us. How do we apply this? Jesus warns the early church, these early Christians, that leaven will corrupt their teaching. When you make a loaf of regular bread, you don't just mix the ingredients and put it in the oven. You mix the ingredients and then you put it in the right environment for it to leaven the whole lump. For the whole thing to rise. And that takes a few hours you see, the leaven of the Pharisees did not change them immediately. It wasn't like the Pharisees were this really godly group of people, and then all of a sudden one day somebody goes, hey, you know what? Let's just start incorporating all these other things. Let's just start incorporating what the rabbi so-and-so said and what our traditions are. Let's just make that part of it. And they're like, yeah, let's take a vote. Okay, yeah, that's, that's what we're going to do. It was something that creeped in slowly. The leaven of the Pharisees. We can be a church... And I believe we are a church, and I hope we continue to be a church that is passionate about Scripture. We can say, and we do say, and I preach this, or other people who preach in our pulpit preach this, that the Word of God is our ultimate and final authority on everything. There is nothing else. But when we begin to follow the things of the world, the teachings of false teachers, the view of culture, those things can begin to sleep in. But there is such a temptation to say, well, I don't want to offend somebody. And we, we, listen, we don't want to offend people. I don't want to offend people. I don't want to make people mad. I want people to feel welcome. I, people have said, hey, would you let this kind of person come to your church? Anybody's welcome to come to First Baptist Church. Now, we need to be willing to say, I'm going to cast aside the sins of the world if we're going to join this church. Hey, I'm going to reject that. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be a part of that. There is this temptation to say, I just want people to feel welcome because then we can give them the gospel. Listen, we, we do want that. But listen, the gospel is offensive. The gospel is going to offend people. And we have to be ready to be like Jesus' disciples and say, you know what? We told them the truth. They didn't receive it. We're going to shake the dust off of our feet. We're going to move on and keep sharing the gospel with more people. Legalism and liberalism are both leavens that must be removed. Think about that. Legalism and liberalism are both leavens that need to be removed. Right now, we're talking about the legalists, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Well, our tradition says this, so that's the way it needs to be done. Our tradition says this, Rabbi so-and-so said this, that's the, that's the legalism. But we need to get rid of the liberalism, which says, well, you know, th- this part of the Word of God doesn't apply to us today. Or, you know, there are parts of the Word of God that don't apply to us. Right? I mean, as far as the direct commands of God in the law, we're not under the law. So we can shave the hair off the temples of our head. Men, right? Um, we can do that. That's fine. Uh, we can mix linens with cotton and wool. We can, we can mix that. We couldn't do that under the law. But listen, what Jesus said here in the Gospels, what we've been seeing him say in the book of Matthew, what's in the book of Mark and Luke, John, Acts, Romans chapter 1, it all applies. And we need to understand that liberalism says, no, 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 that, that, that's changed. First Peter 3, the bishop and deacons, roles for men. That's really unpopular right now. 
There are a lot of Baptists that are that are starting to allow women to, to be pastors and preachers. They say, well, not the senior pastor, but she can be. You know, the, the office of a bishop, according to First Timothy chapter three, is that he has to be a man, a husband of one wife. Same thing with a deacon, husband of one wife. You see, we can say, well, we've got we've got ninety percent of it. We're focusing on the right thing. Ninety percent of it, we're focusing on the Word of God. It only takes one percent to leaven the whole lot. Churches have been leavened by exalting the words and traditions of men. Listen, whether it's Joel Osteen or T.D. Jakes or Beth Moore or John MacArthur or Bob Jones or Charles Spurgeon or William Bach or Stephen Clark, the teachings and traditions of men cannot take up even 1% of our view of God. Men of God can help you understand Scripture. This is our job. Our job is to study Scripture. We're, 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 to, we're to be focused on studying Scripture and teaching it. But, listen... It is Scripture and Scripture alone that is authoritative. When God decides it's time for Stephen to go home, to be with him, to take his last breath on this earth, or if God decides at some point that it's time for Stephen to move on and go to a different church, I'm happy to be here. I hope he keeps me here. That's great. I love you. But I also know that sometimes God moves. And if, when that time comes, in this church, and I've said this, but it's been a few years, I hope and pray this church thrives when I leave. I hope and pray that this church grows like you've never seen it grow. I hope they reach this community like they've never seen it reach. I hope we see great things because here's what that means. That means that the church was not built on Stephen Clark, it was built on the Word of God. We need to be focused on the Word of God. Not focused on what Pastor Bach used to teach. I wish I would have known Pastor Bach. I've heard wonderful things. Pastor Snyder and I have talked one day. He said, you would have liked Pastor Bach and he would have liked you. You guys would have got along really good. But we're not Pastor Bach's Baptist church. We are not Stephen Clark's Baptist church. We are the Lord's church. And his word is authoritative in our lives. We need to cast off the leaven. Listen, there may be someone in here who we don't even know about, but you've got the sin of Achan. You've got something in your life. You know that God has said this is wrong, it's sinful, you're not to do it. And you have said, well, nobody knows about it. You may be hindering who we reach. You may be hindering that. You may be hindering some form of of God's blessing on this body because you have sin in your life. Just 1% can love in the whole world. I hope and pray you will confess it. I hope and pray you will get the things right. If you're here today without Christ, if you've never trusted Him, if there's never been a time in your life where you realize you're a sinner, you repented of that sin, and you trust in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone to save you, then you need to do that today because we are not guaranteed of tomorrow. And the Bible tells us there are ultimately two destinations for us. When we take our last breath, we are either absent from the body and present with the Lord, according to First Thessalonians 4, or there is a place called hell. There's a place of eternal torment where in Revelation chapter 20, death and hell are cast in a lake of fire. There's no purgatory. There's no middle ground. It, and it's not based on how good you do. Is my good outweighing my bad? Have I done good? Have I, have I helped this person? Not helped that? It's all about what has Jesus done. And did you trust him? If you've never trusted Jesus Christ, please respond today. I would love for you to come down the side. And I would love to share with you more about how you can know for sure that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you, or you say, Pastor, uh, I don't know, I'll talk to you later. I would love to talk to you later. But please don't leave here today without being right with your maker. Thank you for joining us today on the First Baptist Church of Hazel Park audio podcast. If you have questions or would like to know more about First Baptist Church, visit us online at fbchazelpark.com.